0: So as I mentioned a moment ago during the welcome, we are in the midst of a sermon series looking at women of the Bible, paying attention to their stories of mercy and bravery, of wisdom and salvation, because all too often women in Scripture get overlooked, all too often go even unnamed, either that or they are simply players in a man's story. But as I said last week, in times like these, we need better feminine role models than that. We want to see women who are strong, authentic, not necessarily always shy or quiet. As a father of three teenage girls, I want for my daughters to be able to look at scripture and to know that they are powerful, that they have a voice, that they're not subservient or second class. And so, over these next few weeks, we are looking at some of the stories of fierce women in the Bible. This morning, we're looking at the story of Rahab. And if you don't know the story of Rahab, that's okay. You're probably not alone. It's not a story that's read much in church, it doesn't appear in the lectionary cycle. Though she is mentioned in Matthew's uh, genealogy that traces out the birth of Jesus at the beginning of the gospel, those 17 very long, boring verses of who begat whom. Her story appears in the book of Joshua, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and plays a key role in the battle of Jericho. Now, those of us who were raised in the church came up in Sunday school, we may know the song about Joshua fitting the battle of Jericho, and the walls came a-tumbling down, be down, be down, down, down. How many of you know that story? Oh, thank God. I was afraid that I, you're going to think I was crazy, that I was just making that up on the spot. Whew, that's good. Anyway, that story. Just to set the stage a little bit. Moses has died. Joshua is now leading the Israelites who have been waiting, wandering in the wilderness for over 40 years, waiting to cross the Jordan into the promised land, the land promised to them by God. And God says to Joshua, you have been waiting long enough. It's time. And so Joshua gives orders to all of his people, pack your bags in three days. We're going we're to cross the Jordan River and we're going to take the land that God is giving to us. Now, in preparation, Joshua sends two spies to go and to check out Jericho to see how much of a resistance they might face. And it's there that they encounter a Canaanite woman by the name of Rahab, So I invite you to listen to this story from Joshua, chapter 2. From Joshua, chapter 2, verses 1 through 15.
1: Then Joshua, son of Nun, sent out two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go and view the land, especially Jericho. So they went, and they entered the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and spent the night there. The king of Jericho was told, some Israelites have come here tonight to view the land. The king of Jericho commanded Rahab, saying, bring out the men who have come into you, who have entered your house. For they are here only to search out the whole land. But the woman took the two men and hid them. True, she said, the men did come to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when it was time to close the gates at dark, they went out. Where they went, hmm, I do not know. But hurry, you can overtake them. Now the woman had taken the men up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. Then the men went and pursued them and on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And after the pursuers had gone out, the gates were shut. Before they went to sleep, the woman went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that dread of you has fallen on us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you as you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who are beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, You utterly destroyed them. When we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no courage left in any of us. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, since I have dealt kindly with you, deal kindly, and swear by the Lord that you will also deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, Our life for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when we come into the land and God gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window. For her house was on the outer side of the city wall. And she resided within the wall itself. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
0: Okay, so I left out one small little detail in the description of Rahab. Did you catch it? She was a prostitute. Now, in some ways, that's a key piece of the story. At least that's the part that we oftentimes fixate on. But is it an important part of the story? Now, Admittedly, the ancient rabbis used to say of Rahab that that she was one of the top four most beautiful women in the world, that even saying her name would make you lust after her. So in addition to making her living that way, she may have also been an innkeeper. Some say that calling her a call girl was just an added part to the story that was added later, giving her more depth giving more depth to her conversion for someone who was who is so depraved of a profession to recognize the holiness of God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, would be even more miraculous. And some would go on to say that her conversion, her redemption, gives gives the rest of us hope. That even us in our own immorality can participate in the love of God. That that if she's within the realm of God's grace, then surely Surely the rest of us are as well. The truth is that I don't think the story is about the corruption of her profession or the beauty of her body. Either way, whether she's a, a woman of the night or runs a bed and breakfast, her home would have been, would have been a place of, of many comings and goings, a place that you can find out all sorts of information about all sorts of different people. And we can't know for sure, so let's just go with the story before us and assume, let's just assume that she ran an unpretentious little establishment in the red light district of Jericho, and that she was known for more than just her warm and generous heart. Now, on that night, there was a knock on her door, and when she opened the door, she, she saw two men that looked, well, they looked scared. Intrigued, she invited them in, planning to relieve them of their anxiety, but also their money. But it became clear soon enough that they were anxious out of genuine fear. And so she asked them what was wrong, and they looked at her, taking in her overwhelming beauty. And they took a deep breath, and they poured out their story about about wandering in the desert for 40 years, about following their God to the promised land, about how God was about to take over all of this land. But first, they were to scour it. And oh, by the way, do you mind if we stay here for the night? Well, while they were talking, there was another knock on the door. And knowing somehow that something was amiss, she, Rahab sent those other two visitors up to the roof to hide. And when Rahab opens the doors, she finds these two messengers for the king. And they say, spies have come from the enemy Israelites. And they were, they were seen in this neighborhood. The king demands that you hand them over to us. Well, Rahab says, well, sure enough, there were a couple guys here, and we did what we do, and then they left. I don't know where they went, but if you hurry, I'm sure that you can catch him. And off they went. And it was then that she went up to the roof and sat down in front of these two men. She curled her feet up under her and she said, listen, I know who you are. I know who you are. I know about the Red Sea and about how you killed all the Amorites. I know who your God is and I know that your God is really the God. And I will help you if you help me. If you'll help my family, my parents, my siblings, all of their children, you'll help our family, right? Well, the men looked at her and saw not only a beautiful woman, but they heard the the truth of her words. They saw a woman at the, the head of her household that would do whatever she could to protect her family. And the men said, yes. Yes, if you tell no one about us, we will protect you and yours. And so they drew up a verbal agreement. They drew up a plan that Rahab would hang a crimson cord from her window to, shore to show where she was. And her family would all gather together in that house and Rahab would keep their secret. And in return, the Israelites would spare her and her family when the walls came a-tumbling down. And that's what happened. A few days later, the Israelites marched into Jericho, and while Rahab's neighbors ran in terror, she and her family sat huddled together in her house, clinging to each other while all of her neighbors begged for mercy. And yet again, there was another knock at the door, and there were the two men who shepherd them out of the ruined city into their camp. And they were given food and water and a tent of their own. They were given a place of honor. Now, the story goes, some say that Rahab would go on to eventually marry Joshua himself. And that their grandchildren would include people like the prophet Jeremiah And even Huldah, the prophetess, who many years later would discover the lost scrolls of the Torah and would, in so doing, instigated a spiritual renaissance for the people of Israel. It's a fascinating story. And I would argue that Rahab was a fascinating woman. But it's interesting to me that the part that we always focus on, the part that we always dwell on, is the fact that she was a prostitute and how she looked. But ultimately, that's not what the story is about, is it? It's not about the morality of her profession. It doesn't matter the beauty of her body. There's more to Rahab than just that. Most interesting thing about Rahab has nothing to do with how she makes her living or what she looks like. You see, I would argue that there is always more to women than their bodies, Though, go to any grocery store and stand in line, that's not what the magazines in the grocery store checkout line will tell you. Those magazines lead us to believe that the most interesting thing about a woman is the shape of her body and her ability to promote their products. I would argue that, in fact, since the beginning of time when Adam ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and realized that eve was naked women have been objectified and all too often our culture views women as objects of men's affection rather than complex people with feelings and wants and needs of their own i came across a fascinating article not long ago about ways in which men and boys are trained to objectify women It talks about how the media teaches us by the language that we use, the way that men are taught to believe that women are objects, property. In this article, the author says, it creates a lack of empathy for women because they have been reduced to plot devices, objects, and extensions of someone else. Think for just a moment about the damage that that can do, how it might cause shame and anxiety, depression, it being the source, the root of eating disorders and sexual assault. This week, this week, what I want you to do is to to pay attention to the messages that are conveyed in media, to watch the commercials that come on with an eye for how women are objectified, how they are told that if they don't have the perfect body that they aren't as valued i want you to pay attention to the messages that are conveyed in our culture that might affect the way in which we treat and value women you see i would argue that there is this unrealistic standard in the media especially social media that young women are expected to meet that warps their idea of what is real. And so we raise our little girls to view their bodies as projects to be improved. And as a result of that, a quarter of a million teenagers have cosmetic surgery every year. You see, all too often, in a thousand different ways, hundreds of times every single day, girls are being taught that how they look is more important than how they feel, more important than who they are, more important than what they can accomplish. As one woman says, I just think that is harming women psychologically, physically, mentally, socially, emotionally. I mentioned a moment ago that Matthew's gospel mentions Rahab, but it's not the last time that she's mentioned in the New Testament. In fact, both Paul and James in the epistles, they lift her up as an example to prove their theological points. In the book of Hebrews, Paul says, Paul says, by an act of faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies and escaped the destruction that came on those who refused to trust God. And then James, again, in his book, lifts her up as an example of good works and asks this question, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? Now, never mind that they were making opposite theological points. Paul was saying that we are saved by faith. James is saying we are justified by works. That's another sermon for another Sunday. But both, while still noting her profession, that designation, lift her up as an example of how we are to live out our faith. You see, what we see about Rahab is that her life is not easily defined. She's complex. She was not just a prostitute in the same way that she was not just a hero. She was not just a body. She was smart, she was cunning, she was faithful. There's a word in Hebrew, nefesh, which means quite literally, self. Your inner life, your nefesh, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your nefesh. As one scholar says, Rahab knew her nefesh. She was herself before she was anyone else's. Now, most biblical scholars today believe that Rahab's story is more likely legend than history, but with all good stories, that's not necessarily the point. It's what we do with the story that matters, and I would argue that her story is part of an epic narrative about how we are to be human to each other about how we care for rather than take advantage of, how we we serve rather than control, how we build one another up rather than tear one another down. And so may we, may we as people of faith do all we can to stop shaming women, seeing their bodies as public property. May we teach our sons to honor and not objectify women. May we teach our daughters that what is more important than how they look is how they feel and what they can accomplish. And may we, as people of faith, stand up for our mothers, for our daughters, for our friends, and for ourselves. May we honor and not objectify women. Amen.